Let's pray. We confess, God, the, the breadth and depth and width of our disobedience, our rebellion, our going our own way. We acknowledge that's who we are as a church, as people, as humanity, as individuals. We ask that you would have mercy on us, that you would forgive our sin, and particularly that of the one who speaks. Stir us inside by your spirit. Awaken us to be people uh, of constant praise, constant gratitude. Help us to be attentive to you, not just as we read from your word together, but at all times and in every way. And again, fill us with your spirit, your life, your love, your joy. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they would be taken to heart if they're just empty words. May they be forgotten, dissipated, eliminated, deleted. Draw us to yourself, we pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. So hello, 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 hello. We all have different kinds of weeks. Uh, It's great to see some of your names there on the chat, on YouTube, and know that we're together. I know that many of the rest of you haven't chimed in but are with us. Uh, We go through these ups and downs through coronavirus through this season. Some weeks aren't so hard. Some weeks are harder. I'm tired of COVID. I'm tired of not connecting with lots of people and you all in particular. I think some of us uh, get frustrated and we just want to throw our hands up and quit. Um, But we continue on. We continue on. We must. We're continuing this morning through our uh, uh, journey through the Gospel of Mark. Last Sunday morning, we Two Sunday mornings ago, we began with chapter 1. We read only verse 1, and we understood that verse, verse 1 of Mark's gospel, to be not only verse 1, but also Mark's title, Mark's introduction, and Mark's thesis statement. And that verse, verse 1 of chapter 1, went like this. The beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. The beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, or Christ, the Son of God. And last Sunday morning, we picked up the pace a bit and read the next seven verses in chapter one of Mark's gospel, verses two through eight. We learned about a man named John, whose calling in life was to announce and to prepare the way for a new king, a great king who would be infinitely more glorious and more important than John, even though John himself would later be described as Jesus as the greatest man ever born of a woman. And yet even John declared, we read last week, that he was not worthy to even stoop down and untie the dirty sandals of the king for whom he prepared the way. So great would be this king. And as part of John's paving the way for this new king, John preached and John called people to repent. And in response to his preaching and his call, people confessed their sins, we read last week. And John called those people who confessed their sins to be baptized. 
as an expression of their repentance and an affirmation of their need of God's forgiveness. And in being baptized, they acknowledged that they had no right or no claim upon God's grace on their own, no right to stand before God. There was nothing about them that was righteous, nothing about them that was good, nothing about them that deserved God's favor. And so they presented themselves humbly before God and his mercy in need of forgiveness. And so well known was this John for this ministry and God using him to prepare the way for this coming king. Preparing people's hearts that this John was known as the Baptist or the baptizer or the one who baptized. And Matthew, the gospel writer Matthew, tells in his longer and more detail-rich gospel that John's response to Jesus showing up for baptism was, Whoa, Jesus. Hold on, Jesus. Why are you coming to me? I should be coming to you to be baptized. Why are you coming to me? To which Jesus replied in Matthew's gospel, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And now we pick up Mark's gospel in chapter 9 of verse 1. Listen closely. This is the word of God. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. And the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven, a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted or tested by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Most of us have been baptized. Those of us, those of you who are members of First Presbyterian Church San Mateo have been baptized, as have most of the rest of us who are here and who are together at home this morning, who are Christians who trust God and Christ, who are seeking to follow Jesus. Most of us have been baptized. Some of us were baptized as infants, some of us were baptized as children, some of us were baptized as young adults, some of us were baptized later in life, but none of our baptisms were like the baptism of Jesus. Some of us had water sprinkled on our heads, some of us had water uh, scooped or poured on top of us onto our heads. Some of us were baptized in baptismal basins or pools in sanctuaries. Some of us were baptized in large plastic tubs in sanctuaries. Some of us were baptized in the ocean, some in the bay, some in swimming pools, some in hot tubs, some in lakes, and some in rivers like Jesus. But none of our baptisms were like the baptism of Jesus. At around the age of 30, Jesus stepped out of an otherwise unknown little nothing town in the backwoods of Galilee of the Gentiles named Nazareth that no one had ever heard of. And he stepped onto the world stage by stepping into the Jordan River. And John somehow took or helped or placed Jesus under the water 
so that water covered Jesus' head. And then presumably John helped Jesus to rise out of the water. Now the purpose, meaning, significance, the reason for my baptism and your baptisms was to acknowledge our hopelessness apart from God and Christ and to affirm our need of God's grace. For many of us, our parents made that public affirmation on our behalf when we were infants or small children, even as they made that profession for themselves. They embraced the promises of the Scriptures, not only for themselves, but also, as the Scriptures say, for their children. At our baptisms, some of us said for ourselves and some of our parents said for us when we were little children what we would affirm later, sometimes through confirmation class, which we'll celebrate again in a couple of weeks here. That we are utterly dependent on God for his mercy. Utterly dependent on Jesus for his atoning sacrifice for our sins on the cross. In baptism, we have testified to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. In baptism, we acknowledge our turning away from sin and our turning to him. In baptism, we acknowledge our trust or our parents' trust and their trust on our behalf in him, our trusting God in Christ. But the purpose, meaning, and reason of Jesus' baptism must have been very different. Because, as Peter quoted the prophet Isaiah, he, Jesus, Messiah, committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. None. Now, of course, the mothers of John the Baptist, Elizabeth, and of Jesus, Mary, they knew each other. They had not, may not have known each other well, but they were distant relatives They lived a couple of states or a couple of regions apart, but they were related somehow. And six months into Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy with John and the angel, after the angel Gabriel had come and spoken to Mary about what would happen to her and what had already happened to Elizabeth, Mary thought, I'm going to go and connect with Elizabeth. And so she did. She got ready. She journeyed and met up with Elizabeth in Elizabeth's home. And they talked, they compared notes about their different experiences, their different encounters with angels. And one might imagine that those two women developed a unique bond and maybe a long-distance relationship so that one day years later they might connect again and say to each other, how is your miracle boy doing these days? And Elizabeth would respond, oh Mary... My boy's path has been unusual. He moved out of our family home and he moved to the desert. He lives among the wild animals. He gave away the nice clothes that I made for him and now he just wears skins of animals. Clothes made of camel hair. And he's not taking great care of himself. He eats bugs. He eats locusts. And he talks about judgment all the time. Oh Mary... But how is your boy? To which Mary replied, perfect. He's just perfect. Mary may have had a bumper sticker on her donkey that said, my child is an honor student at Nazareth Elementary School, or my child graduated magna cum laude from the University of Israel in Nazareth. I don't know. The author of the book of Hebrews 
Speaking of Jesus, wrote, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one, speaking of Jesus, who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. And so Jesus' baptism must have been different than ours in so many ways. And yet along the way, with the whole, quote, whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem, Jesus stepped forward to be baptized so that his sins could be forgiven? No. So that he could identify with humanity? Yes. Because it seemed like the right and humble thing to do? No. But to fulfill all righteousness, whatever that meant? Yes. To be adopted then as God's son? No but to be affirmed as already God's Son, absolutely. To fulfill all righteousness from the third chapter of Matthew's longer gospel, meant to fulfill what had been written in the Scriptures, such as in the second psalm, which was written for the coronation of Davidic kings, and where we read in verse 7, You are my son, today I have become your father. And in the 42nd chapter of Isaiah, which records one of Isaiah's servant songs, and reads, Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. In chapter 4 of chapter 64 of Isaiah, which begins, Oh, that you would rend or tear or rip the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. And yet Jesus did not become the Son of God in baptism that day. The scriptures are clear that Jesus, as the divine Son, had always been Son of God, the Son of God. For example, the writer John, the author of the Gospel of John, wrote at the very beginning, the very first words and verses of his Gospel, in the beginning was the Word, a reference to Jesus, Logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him already was life, and that life was the light of all humanity. Jesus already was God's Son, which is a phrase or a term that has an interesting history in the Old Testament. A title that Mark embraced and that Jesus embraced. Though in Mark's gospel, Jesus rarely used it of himself, but everyone else from top to bottom, as we talked about two weeks ago, does. Mark understands the Old Testament phrase and the intertestamental phrase, Son of God, messianically. As one who was coming, as one who would come, as one who would fulfill God's prophecy, as an ambassador of God and the embodiment of God himself. And at the heart of Mark's Son of God was a deeply personal relationship. And this was not the beginning of Jesus' sonship, but an affirmation of Jesus' already sonship. So the voice from heaven says today, you are my son with you and in you I am well pleased. The New English translation translates those familiar words, 
In you I take great joy. With you, the voice from heaven, the voice of the Father says, In you I find great pleasure, take great joy, am well pleased. Remember, Jesus hasn't done anything yet, at least not publicly up to this point. Up to the first 30 years of his life, he's an unknown person. He's done nothing to earn the love, approval, accolades, affirmation of his father. He hadn't done a thing. And yet God the Father affirms Jesus. And this is the sort of no strings attached, unconditional affection and commitment that characterizes not only a good and loving father, but God's love, who and how God is. Scriptural love, the love of God as we see him in Scripture. And when Jesus emerged, Jesus saw the heavens opening up. The opening up and the release of this spirit that says, all that I am is yours. All of me belongs to you. I am available to you now and always will be. This is the gift of God's Spirit that did not only come to Jesus for the first time at that point, but came again and filled him and assured Jesus that his Father was always with him. With every resource of his heart and his being and his character, who and how he was. The Spirit represented the keys to the house, the keys to the car, the keys to the kingdom, the combination to the safe, the phone numbers that would help the most, the Amex gold card. And the message was, simply because you are my son, all that I have is yours. And in you I delight and take pleasure and am well pleased. One of the things I missed most about COVID, and I said this to my kids yesterday morning, Saturday morning, as I did the previous Saturday morning and maybe the previous Saturdays, goodness, I miss running around to soccer games on Saturdays and sometimes Sunday afternoons. I miss that the season has started and we have no games. I miss sitting on the sidelines and watching each of you play. Whether your team wins or loses, however you play personally, however you do, it doesn't matter regardless. I love to watch my kids, the older three, play soccer in particular, not only playing soccer. But it's a time that a parent simply can take delight and seeing their child be their child and enjoy and work and exercise and play. And nothing brings greater joy to a parent than to simply observe and take in and reflect and be filled with parental joy. My youngest doesn't play soccer, but I watch her in the same way, playing creatively, doing art. Yesterday we were playing a card game, she and I, called Monopoly Deal, and she just happened to be crushing me. And she could tell that I was discouraged and she said to me, Dad, here, have some of my cards. These are really good cards. You can have some of these. 
and there was joy and this fatherly delight. I wasn't going to take her cards. I was glad to have her crush me, but delighted to see the generosity that's so atypical today in her heart. In her I was well pleased. In her I am well pleased. In her I take great pleasure. In her I find great delight. And it was the same way with Jesus' Father for His Son. There was between the Father and the Son and the Spirit these relationships of love within the Godhead Three in one, a community of love and generosity and kindness, and no strings attached affection for and commitment to one another. And inherent in Jesus' sonhood, in his being Son of God, was not just the love, but also a calling that he could and would fulfill because he was Son of God and because he is God. New Testament scholar James Edwards writes, in the, sublime, in the sublime declaration to Jesus at his baptism, we encounter fatherly love and filial obedience, kingship and suffering servant. Each is a facet of what it means to be son of God, the son of God. To no prophet had words been spoken, such as the words to Jesus at the baptism, his baptism. Abraham was a friend of God, Moses a servant of God, Aaron chosen of God. David, a man after God's own heart, Paul, an apostle. Only Israel and the king as Israel's leader had been called God's son before. And now Jesus, taking the place of Israel that had failed in living out that name. Edwards continues, the baptism is the keystone in the life and ministry of Jesus, the empowerment by the Spirit to be God's servant, and the declaration of heaven, you are my son. Enable Jesus not only to speak and act for God, but as God. This is demonstrated by his forgiveness of sins as we go through Mark's gospel, his acceptance of sinners, his calling of tax collectors into discipleship, his healing of the sick and casting out of demons, his recovery of the true intent of the Sabbath and challenge of the Jewish religious establishment as referenced in the oral tradition, the temple, the Sanhedrin. It is not coincidental that when Jesus is later confronted by the Sanhedrin, the ruling religious council of Jewish people asking, by what authority do you do these things? Jesus drives his questioners back to his baptism. What Jesus does as God's servant ultimately has meaning only because of who he is as God's son. We don't make a lot of Jesus' baptism. We haven't. It's not a big festival. It's not marked out in big letters on the church calendar. It hasn't been a big part of our celebrations in the Christian year. Even though it's recorded by all four gospel writers in different ways referenced. In the first chapter of Acts, we read of the disciples needing to find a replacement for Judas. And one of their qualifications is someone who has been with us since the baptism of Jesus. 
the baptism of Jesus are these two bookends on the ministry of Jesus, particularly in Mark's gospel. When the tearing of heaven happens, the same word is used when heaven is ripped open at Jesus' baptism and when the veil is torn in two at Jesus' crucifixion. These are the bookends that matter. Our baptisms, which we have in so many ways, maybe like Jesus' baptism, domesticated. Our baptisms were and are important, but Jesus' baptism was infinitely more important. Because Jesus was embraced by his Abba, we can know the Father's love. Because Jesus was obedient, fulfilling all righteousness, all righteousness, we can also be obedient by God's grace and the power of God's Spirit also given to us because it was given to Jesus. Because Jesus was and was who he was. Because Jesus' identity was reaffirmed for him in his baptism. Because Jesus was who he was, we can be who we are and who we are intended to be in Christ. Of course, we will never be who we were intended to be on our own, but God loves us as we are and not as we should be because we will never be as we should be. But God loves us enough not to leave us alone. God loves us fully and takes delight in us because he took delight in his son. And because Jesus was baptized, we can be assured of our forgiveness. Because he associated himself with humanity, because he took on our humanity and vicariously took on our sin, bearing the weight of our shame on the cross, we can know that we are forgiven, though he had nothing in and of himself to be forgiven for himself. And because Jesus was empowered to go out into the wilderness, we too can go out into the wilderness. It was the same Spirit who came down from heaven, torn open, split open, open wide, gently, like a dove, landing on and coming into and filling Jesus. That also sent him out. That same spirit sent Jesus out into the wilderness to be tested or to be tempted by the evil one, by Satan, by the devil. Mark calls him different things. And to ultimately be victorious in that battle. In the same way, because Jesus is filled with that spirit, we can have that spirit to do battle daily against sin that so easily entangles and that which draws us down. These things are what we see in Jesus' baptism. Our baptisms were important. Jesus' baptism was more important. For in it, not only are we assured of who he was and not only is he assured of who he was, but we are assured of who we are and who we can be in Christ. 
which is unity with the Father, living in His love, and victorious over sin. May God give us the grace today to continue to live into Jesus' baptism, that we might experience fullness in Him and all of His unconditional, Father-delighting love in each one of us, even as we are. And in that, may we see His glory. May we see His heavens opened up and His heaven come down, that earth may be filled with His glory. May this be so today. Let's pray together. As Jesus looked up and saw God, help us to continually look up to you, look up to the heavens, look out for your spirit. Be receptive to your spirits. Remember our baptisms. Remember the vows either that we made or that were made on our behalf. Remember our claim to your mercy is wholly dependent on the cross of Christ. On the one who, being empowered by your spirit and called to his purpose, was nailed to a tree to a beam that our sin might be paid for that our sin might be forgiven that we might have life and have it abundantly and have it eternally we have no hope God apart from your son fill us fill your church fill the whole world with your spirit In the name of the Father, and in the name of Jesus, and in the name of Spirit, amen.